Uh, and so if you will, turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4, starting in 25 through 32. And this is a hard passage. I, anybody that says that God doesn't expect a different life a, after salvation just needs to read through Ephesians. Amen? It starts with the heavenlies, but it ends with our job here in the worldly. And what's so important is that we're living for Jesus now in this time as we walk through this old nasty world. As we know in Ephesians, before the foundations of the world, God chose the whosoever. Amen? That that whosoever by faith can be adopted into the family of God. Get your mind wrapped around that. That that whosoever then is called to be a workman building the church. Amen? But then no more Jew or Gentile that we are one in Christ. It doesn't matter who you are today. We are one because of Jesus. But then we see that Paul says, I bow my knees for you because it will not be easy and your inner man must be strong. We must be humble. We must be meek. We must love one another and we must be unified. That's where we have led up to today. But now Paul switches it again and he says, be aware because there's one that's coming. We see in the last chapter the armor of God, but I believe that Paul is starting to lay out the groundwork of why we have to be armored up. And he says there's one that is seeking to destroy. There is one who is enslaving. There is one that is ensnaring. And if you are not careful, you will fall into the foothold of Satan. And I believe that even in this time, as great as moments as Hillcrest Baptist Church is in, this is a time where we must be more careful than ever. Because it's when we get comfortable, it's when we stop looking, it's when we stop relying on Jesus that Satan comes in with a right hook. And he says, I'll tell you where I want you to be, Hillcrest Baptist Church. But I'm going to tell you today, we are going to raise the banner and we are going to fight Satan tooth and nail. Amen. Amen. But I believe once we get through this, you might even say, I'm even part of this where Satan has found a foothold in me. I'm going to tell you, there's been times where Satan has found a nesting place in my life. But we must root him out. We must get him out. We must understand. I'm going to tell you at 2 in the morning, I felt Satan oppression all over me this morning. But I tell you, I woke up and I said, Satan, you don't have no place here. You are uh, trespassing on my father's property. I am blood bought. God has saved my soul and you need to be ridded out of my life. Guys, Satan is real and he don't want your joy. He does not want your peace, and he will make you second guess every decision that you make. But God is bigger. God is stronger. God is so much mightier than he is. There was a story that I was once told, and this is a true story, a dream. And I think this dream uh, lays out Satan and his schemes better than anything else. This dream came from somebody very special to me. And they said in this dream, it was in a time where Satan was just running wild. And he said, this came from almost a 90-year-old man, by the way. And he said, in my dream, I got up and I walked into the church building where I was. And he said, I seen the church and I seen the sanctuary. And guys, understand, this is a time where Satan, he can work in ways that we don't understand. He can work. He's crafty. He's sneaky. 
And I remember in this dream, he said that I went to the church and I pulled open the door. And where the pulpit was and where the sanctuary was, where all the people were, was a giant pit. And he said, what used to come out of this great joy and peace and the worship that came through the doors was now a pit. And he said, I started to hear voices coming from the pit. And they were making fun of me. They were laughing at me. They were cursing at me. They were telling me all what I was. And they said, who dare this Christian think that he is coming into our place? And he said, I couldn't see the people, but I heard a kid's voice. And I heard a man's voice. And I heard a woman's voice. And I heard everything coming from this pit. And I started to lean over and I looked into the pit and there was only one voice, and there was only one person in that pit, and it was Satan. And he was running to and fro, using the voices of everybody else to do his work. And I believe that is the greatest example that I've heard of how Satan works. And if we are not careful, he'll use you to do the work of him. And I don't know about you, if anybody's ever been in church long enough, we've seen those unholy huddles. We've seen people that are so quick to be your friend and it isn't very long till they turn on you in a dime. Amen? It isn't very long till we see Satan start to work a work. And before you know it, we're doing the devil's work in Jesus' name. Amen? I don't want to do the devil's work and while lifting up the banner of Jesus. I want to lift up the banner of Jesus and do Jesus' work. Amen? But I believe that Satan in this evil day has laid out snares and he is waiting to trap you. He is waiting to hurt Jesus. He is wanting to kill the testimony of God's church. And if we go lollygagging, not worrying about it, we are liable to step on a landmine. In Ephesians 4, 25 through 32, it says, Wherefore, putting away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath. Neither give place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working in his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Let no corruption, no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Ooh, it's good stuff. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you for your blessings that you give us. Lord, I'm thankful for where you've brought Hillcrest Baptist Church, and I'm thankful for where you're going to take us. But, Lord, it's going to take everybody armored up to get what you, uh, what you have for us, Lord. Not only the preachers, not only the deacons, not only the teachers, every single person in this building has got to put on the armor of God saying that I'm going to rage war against this sinful day, that I'm not going to give up, I'm not going to back down, and I'm not going to backpace. I'm going to go forward for Jesus Christ. And I want to be used for God. Lord, I pray, God, that everybody in here has a prayer, that they want to be used by you, that they don't want to be put on a shelf, they don't want to uh, follow anybody else's coattails. They want to be used themselves 
for your glory. And Lord, again, thank you for all that you do. Forgive us, we fail you. In Jesus' name, amen. But in verse 21 through 32, we are living in a world of devil landmines. And the last thing we should do is give Satan a home in our lives, our families' lives, and in our church. You don't have to look very far to see Satan absolutely everywhere, do you? You don't have to look very far. All you got to do is cut on the television and see the absolute travesties that are all in our world. And if you're not careful, you will fall into those things. You will start to get an immune heart to those things. Guys, everybody in here has an adversary, and he has absolutely got all the tools in the tool bed, it seems like right now. And we're living in a world where we are just pilgrims passing through. And if we are not careful, we will start to look like the world while we're passing through it. So we got enough adversaries as it is. We don't need to give Satan any more leeway. And that's the problem. We start to give Satan even more room in our life. And guys, I hope and pray that we want to make Satan as uncomfortable as he can be in the life that we live. That we want to know that Satan has not got a nesting place in this life and that Satan does not have a nesting place in yours. But there are certain things that we do if we're not careful. We invite Satan in to be comfortable where we are. And I'm going to tell you something, my friend. Satan is scared to death about what's going to happen at Hillcrest Baptist Church. And I believe if Satan is scared to death, that means he is going to be roaring and roaring like never before. Does Satan feel at home with you? If he does, we must strip off the old man and put on the new. First thing we must do, and look in verse 25, it says, Wherefore, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The first thing Satan says that Satan wants to do in our life is to us to be liars. And God says, put away lying. Lying misrepresents the truth. It hides the truth. And innocent people are deceived by the lies of thinking that truth. It deceives a person. It starts to become about his wants, his covering up, his cause of the harm that's causing him in his life. And we can start to believe a lie if we're not careful. How many times has somebody told a lie so many times that they start to believe it? That all of a sudden, man, we're so immune to the lies and the schemes that we hear, but not only do we hear, but that we portray, that we start to actually believe the lie that we've been saying. Not only that, it builds relationships on seeking sand and fake will fall through. Guys, we are called to be a people of truth. The Bible says, and the truth will make you free. I'm going to tell you something, my friend. We are to be a people of truth. And truth ain't easy. I've learned that over time. It's a lot easier to say a little fib. It's a lot easier to give somebody not the truth than it is to give them the cold, hard truth. And I don't care how hard the truth is, people need to hear the truth. Then God can start to work a work in them because they know the truth. And the truth is what makes a man free. But we must be a people that want to live on truth. Lying in the church destroys the working body within the church. The Bible says, Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. We are to be people of truth because God is truth. We are to be exactly the same before men that we are in private and the same in private as before men. 
And you say, well, Brandon, I wouldn't lie. I'm not a liar. I tell people the truth. Well, my friend, if you are living a life that is publicly one thing and privately another, you are a liar. You're a liar. And you say, well, Brandon, no, no, yes, my friend. And there is a place in your life, if you are not careful, Satan will find a foothold. He will find a place in that private place to say, I will take away your joy, I will take away your peace, and I will take away your power. I'll take everything from you if you're not careful. And it is in that private life where we must be guarded as much as we are in public. Because it's easy to live for Jesus publicly. It's hard to live for him privately. It's hard when nobody's looking. It's hard when nobody's watching. It's hard when all of a sudden you don't have nobody looking over you and you have that choice. Am I going to follow Jesus in the private or am I just going to follow Jesus in the public? And we wonder, why don't I have power in my life? Because when we are living in truth, That's when power starts to come into our life. That's why repentance is so important. I'm telling you, guys, we serve a forgiving God. We serve a Lord that will forgive you all of your sin, but you can either die in your pride or you can say, God, forgive me. This sin is killing me, and I want to give you everything that I have. Lord, take this from me. And he said, Son, I am absolutely dependable enough that I will forgive you all of your sin, and I will set you free. Guys, life is too short to be living with hindrances all over your life. And if we are not careful, we are find ourselves in a place of lying. Even if we're not lying to people, we can lie to God. We can tell Him things. I told the kids just this. Uh, I, I told the kids this. I said, I think of so many times how many oaths I've made to the Lord. How many times where life was going hard Life was going bad, and I would promise God things. God, I promise you, if you'll see me through this, I I won't do this no more. I'll, I'll do this, or Lord, I promise. And God is so faithful, and he sees us through over and over and over again. And often, and how often do we forget the oaths that we make to God? We forget everything that we promised him. But we forget, but he doesn't forget. And I think we find ourselves in a place of, uh, of not being happy, not being joyful. And we say, why? Because we've made it about us. And guys, we make it about what we want instead of forgetting the only joy that we have is when we are in tune, when we are in communion with the Lord. Two, he says, you must put away anger. Verse 26 through 27, it says, Be ye angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. Put away anger. Emotional response caused by something that displeases us. Righteous anger against sin is okay, but I'm going to tell you, hardly ever are we angry at sin. We're usually angry because we are in sin. Y'all with me? I've told you before, there's times in my life where I was sleeping on the couch. There was a time, y'all, before I knew that I was going to be a pastor that I almost lost my ministry before it even got started. Y'all with me? And I remember there was a time where I would take things out on my wife. Why? 
because I was in sin. And I had was angry at everybody else because I was not happy in my own life because I was out of bounds and Satan had found a foothold. Often, we don't want to be mad. We don't want to be angry. Who wants to walk around angry at people all the time? Who wants to walk around and I'm going to tell you what job, I'm going to tell you everything I want to say to you and I'm going to be mad and I'm going to make sure everybody else is miserable with me. Nobody wants to live that life, but they're living that life because they're miserable on the inside themselves. And we will not do what it takes to be set free. Righteous anger against sin is okay, but again, most of the time we're angry because we are in sin. Most anger is for selfish reasons. Some are slow to anger and they're quick to explode. Who's like that? That's me. I am very slow to anger. You don't make me mad very... I can take and take and take and take and take. But then when I explode, I'm getting fired. I mean, that's just the way it is. But then there's people that are very angry right off the bat. And they just, man, they're just mad all the time. But then they just keep on going like, and they're over it like it ain't nothing. But guys, I want you to understand there are still casualties in between no matter where you are. You can be a person that shoots off at the mouth, you say something stupid, and you move on. But there's still a casualty in your wake. Or you can be that person that smolders and smolders and smolders, and you get to a point where I'm just like, I can't take it no more, and I'm going to explode. And then I'm tore all to pieces until I make it right. But guys, we must understand that anger is a stopper of the gospel. Anger kills our joy and it kills our peace. And I guarantee you everybody in this place has one time or another has been angry, not just in life, but I'm talking about in church. And why are you angry at church? Why do you get mad? We're going to get to the end of this and we're going to understand why we're mad, why we're angry, why we lie, why we steal. It's because we're selfish. And everything is about us. And I'll be happy as long as you do what I want you to do. And I'll be happy as long as it lines up with my wants, my needs. Oh, I'm the happiest guy in the world until you say something that I don't like. And immediately, I'm angry. And we're going to get to the end of this, and you're going to understand that you better be thankful that it's not about you. Amen? But anger that contempts, it becomes prideful, it despises, it ridicules, it scorns. You ever met those folks? Man, they're so mad, they're so angry, and it ain't very long till they're scorning everybody else. They're talking about everybody else. They ridicule everybody else. And I'm going to tell you something else. We lose our mind in anger. It's a moment of insanity when we blow up. How many of y'all have ever blew up mad, and you, after about 10 minutes, you're like, I am an idiot. These youth right here, there's times they see me explode. They're, they're bringing out their cameras laughing at me because I say so stupid things when I'm mad, right? We say stupid things. We do stupid. We reap stupid. Who all's in here ever tore up something because they're mad and you're like, man, I wish I wouldn't have tore up my good stuff? <laughs> I mean, everybody in here, there's probably a dad or a, somebody in here that's had that lawnmower or that, not that, that, that weed eater that will not start. I remember even my dad one time. Hey, my dad's a great mechanic, but I remember that time he was trying to get that weed eater going and it wouldn't start, and he hit that thing against a tree like a baseball bat and it went everywhere. 
And at the end, you're like, man, I wish I had my weed eater back. But in that moment of insanity, we lose our minds. But guys, we must protect because in that moment of insanity, you say, well, Brandon, I have the right to be mad. There's people that are watching. There's people that are looking. And there's people that say, is that the kind of life that a Christian should live? Guys, we are to be people of self-control. Now, I know everybody in here loses their mind from time to time. Everybody in here say, Brandon, you get mad at me for being angry? No, I get as angry as you do. But I'm telling you, there's a consequence for it when we do. And we give Satan a place to reap what he wants. But anger that curses, it destroys reputations. Have you ever been to a spot where you're so mad at somebody you'll destroy their reputation? Where all of a sudden you say, they didn't do exactly what I wanted them to do and I'm going to tell everybody how bad they are. I'm going to tell everybody how sorry they are. I'm going to tell everybody that, man, nobody will ever follow them again because I'm going to tell the truth, but the truth is actually a lie because you're in that time of insanity. God is not mean, he is not selfish, he is not prideful, he is not arrogant, and he is not full of anger unless it is with sin. Sin causes a hurt, and if you're angry and you want to be right, you must not let the sun go down on your wrath. Get it right. If you have a spouse today, and you've been taking it out on her, you need to go today and you say, Honey, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'm not going to live another day angry with you. You got a brother in this place. You say, I hate their face, Brandon. You don't understand. I hate the face. I don't care if you hate their face or not. You go better go make it right with them. It doesn't matter who you are. You say, Brandon, I can't stand your face. That's okay. You can. Amen. Thank you, brother. But you come and I would love to talk with you about wherever I've hurt you. Guys, we must suck up our pride and do the right thing. We must apologize and we must move on. Our parents tell us at a young age when we uh, do something to a child or another child or I ripped their toy away or I, I was at school and I did something bad to a kid, you better apologize. You go to them, you tell them that you're sorry. Then why do we tell our kids to do it but yet we won't do it? Well, I think we tell our children to do a lot of things that we won't do. We'll tell our children, oh, you better do this because it's the right thing. But when you're an adult, we are so full of pride and arrogance that we will not do the right thing. We would rather split a church up than to do the right thing. We would rather everybody leave but us than to do the right thing. And I believe there's been a lot of fellowships destroyed over people not doing the right thing. And does God get glory from that? I believe God hangs his head and cries. We grieve him over the way that we act. But we must suck up pride. Three, we must strip away stealing in verse 28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working in his hands that which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Stealing is what belongs to others. There's nothing worse than a thief. I remember one time me and my dad had put together a... Um, I had this old truck. It was an old S10 when I was in college. And I, we, I just bought a brand new stereo. And it was just a CD. Remember those old CDs? They looked so cool. And you put it in there. And me and my dad worked all night putting that in. And I drove to work the next day at Sparkle Laundry. And I was in the very back and parked next to the dumpster. <laughs> and I remember somebody coming up to me and they said, somebody 
broke into your car, they had ripped out the stereo, and they had taken it. And not only that, they went through my backpack, they strode everything out, and I went in there, and I said, and y'all talking about don't be angry. I was angry. <laughs> and in that moment, I don't know if I would have witnessed to those people. I would have been like, good luck. You know, I'm just going to be honest with you. But I just remember, what, there's nothing worse than somebody stealing what belongs to somebody else. A person that does not work for it, but yet has the audacity to take it from the people that labored for it. There's nothing worse than that. But guys, there's different kinds of stealing. There's hoarding. Those that have been blessed with so much, but yet give so little. Instead of saving, uh, instead we often save it for ourselves. Guys, what if we hoarded the gospel like we do everything else? That convicts me because there was a time that I don't know what the story was, but from the very beginning at Pentecost to now to the moment that I was saved, there was faithful people willing to share the gospel for 2,000 years so it would get to me. And I'm thankful today that they didn't hoard it for themselves, that I'm going to get to go to heaven. I don't care about what everybody else has got. It's about me. It's about I. And I'm going to get to walk the golden streets. Brandon Patton is good luck with you. But there were people that loved me enough, that were faithful enough to share the gospel with me. And I believe if the gospel has stopped with you, you are a thief. You're a thief of the greatest treasure that has ever been given. And for whatever reason, you think it only belongs to you and it don't belong to the whole world. But the reason why we're sad and the reason why we're mad is because we're not doing what God's called us to do. I'm going to tell you something, guys. When we get busy for God, we don't have time for all this other mess. You ain't got time for it. But guys, let us be giving to what God has done. And I don't even want to talk about tithes. That God has blessed us. Guys, God expects us to give back to Him. The Bible says, lay not up our treasures for ourselves. Lay up treasures upon, don't not lay treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up your treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust will corrupt, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where's your treasure this morning? I believe that you steal from God when you use your gifts, your talents, your abilities, and your energy for worldly gain instead of godly gain. Y'all listening? Some of y'all are the best salesmen in all the world, I bet. I bet there's somebody in here that you say, Brandon, I hit my goals every week at work. I can sell anything to anybody. And I'm going to tell you what, I've been given the ability to talk to anybody at any moment. But when God says, talk about me, you go, God has given you a special ability not to put it in your paycheck, but to glorify God. Some of you are creative you go to school and you, you, you create things and you do all of these things and you are a crowd of creative mind. And you can put together anything and you can do whatever your mind puts on it, but you spend all your time, all your energy in secular things, giving the world all you got. But then when it comes to God, you bury your ability. I believe that's stealing from the Lord. 
When you use your gifts, your talents, your abilities, your energy for your gain, others' praise, and world glory. Guys, we must be give all that we have to God. Give God, often we give him half effort. And we give everything else full effort. But the thief cometh not, but for to steal and to kill and destroy. And he wants to steal our joy, our peace, our mind, and our life. And if we aren't careful, we will be joy thieves as well. Are you a person that gives joy everywhere you go? Or do you rip joy everywhere you go? I'm going to tell you what, I don't want to be a joy stealer. I want to be a joy giver, amen? We serve the joy giver, the one that has saved us, the one that has set us free, the one that has given us hope, the one that has given us meaning for life. Then why do we go around ripping joy out of the world? We should be the ones that say, I know one that can give joy. And his name is Jesus. But not only that, we are not to be stealing. We are, not to, we are to put away worthless talk. Let no corruption, communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Corrupt means rotten, foul, and polluting. Let no foul or polluting language, nor evil word, nor unwholesome or worthless talk come out of your mouth. If we do, the Bible says we are an open sepulcher that stinks like an open grave. And people notice your speech. When I used to work for Cytex, and that was a delivery place that I worked when I was doing uniforms, there was a man uh, named Patrick that I worked with. And now this is a time where I was kind of in, kind of out of church. I wasn't living the way I probably should have. I wasn't living bad. I was pretty faithful. I just wasn't all in for Jesus. And I remember Patrick would come to me, and Patrick was the most positive guy you ever met. Patrick was just one of those guys that's like, man, you meet him, and he's like, he's from California. Any of my California people in here, you ain't all bad, amen? <laughs> Patrick was an awesome guy. Patrick was a guy that was like, man, you know Jesus. He was probably one of those charismatic types that most people are like, but I'm going to tell you, he loved Jesus. And everywhere he went, he was telling people about Jesus. Every time we got back to the office, he was saying, hey, I got to talk to somebody on my route about Jesus. Brandon, do you need any prayer? Brandon, do you need anything? I'll help you. I'm going to talk to you about Jesus. It was Jesus was on his mind. And he told me a story. He said there was a time where I was on a route truck with a guy that nobody could work with. And he said, this guy would cuss you up and down. He would tell you everything that he wanted to say to you and wouldn't even bat an eye. Nobody could work with him. But then they gave him Patrick. And Patrick goes in and he's working with this guy for a week. This guy's cussing Patrick. Hey, do this, do this. Blankety blank, 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 do this. And Patrick had a choice. If he was a lot like one of us, we would have bowed up and said, oh, how dare you say that to me? But Patrick just kept Jesus at the forefront. Jesus is the reason why I treat you the way I do. And it came to the end of the week, and the guy said, I notice that you don't ever cuss. I notice that you never get mad. I notice that you don't ever get angry. Are you a weirdo or something? He said, you're a weirdo. That's what he told Patrick. And he said, no, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. And that's the reason why my speech is the way it is. It hadn't always been that way. There was a time that I lived for the world, 
There was a time that it was all about me. There was a time where I would cuss just like you, but I had been saved by the blood of Jesus, and I want you to know that the same Jesus that saved me is the same Jesus that can save you, and I want you to understand that there is a better way for your life than the way that you're living, and the man right there broke down in tears, and in that moment he said, I want Jesus just like you have. But when we live just like the world, we act just like the world. We get mad just like the world. We steal just like the world. We are everything like the world. We make no difference. But we make a huge difference when we're different. And I'm going to tell you, your speech in a world that cusses every word, they notice your language. I believe that the number one thing that a Christian can do right off the bat is clean up your mouth. People look. A believer is to speak good, wholesome, and purposeful. Verse 30 through 32, and it says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed unto the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. I'm going to tell you what we need. We need more humble. We need more meek concerned, merciful, pure, peacemakers, and truth in our church. We need a lot less drama-filled, selfish, prideful, corrupt, angry, malice, and bitterness. And you say, well, Brandon, I'm going to ask you that. What side are you on? Is your life full of the fruits of the Spirit, or is your life full of worldliness? And i got to ask you, why? Have you been saved? Have you trusted Jesus to save you? Is God the ruler of your life? Is he king of your life? Because, guys, so many times we look so much like the world, nobody would even see a difference in us. Why? Why are we often on the wrong side? Why do we find ourselves in all these things? Why? Why do we find ourselves in lying, anger, worthless talk, and stealing? I'm going to get to this. It's because it's about us. Just think, how many times have you let your anger get the best of you? How many times have you got caught in gossip sessions or been caught in selfishness, selfishness or envy for what you don't have? How many times have you had to talk a talk not worthy of God? Do you feel Satan has a foothold in your life? Why? Look in Galatians 5, 16 through 26, and I'm going to finish up. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. And I'm going to read all this. I just want you all to listen. The reason why we find ourselves in the place that we are, and this is because of the flesh, we battle against the flesh. It's the flesh rises up in us. Verse 16, it says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Are you walking in the Spirit? For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to another, so that you cannot do the things that you would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, you are not under the law. But now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, uncleanliness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, simulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revilings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in times past, that they do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. How hard is that to hear? But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. 
maintenance, temperance. Against such there is no law. Amen. And that there are Christ, having crucified the flesh with the affections of lust. And we live in the Spirit. Let us walk in the Spirit. And this is what I think our problem is. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Why do we fall into what we fall into, not meaning to? Often the reason for our anger, our stealing, our bad talk, our sin, whatever it is, is that we've made it all about us. When things do not go the way we want, flesh immediately rears its ugly head. And I believe that God is calling us to let go and to let God. Now I want you to really think about that for a moment. When you get angry and you get mad, why? It's because it didn't go your way for whatever reason. Life is not always going to go your way. Life is not always going to end up the way. Guys, it is because we have a selfishness in us that God has saved us from, but it rears its ugly head often. And often the reason why we end up the way we do, our hearts end up the way they do, is because we've made it about us. And you say, Brandon, I've never made it about us. Be truthful right now. Have you made it about you? And when you're upset, when you're mad, when you're grumpy, when you want to take it out on everybody else, is it on them or is it on you? It's on you because you've made it about you. And I'm happy as long as it goes my way. God, as long as I can understand it, as long as I agree with it, as long as I can wrap my head around it, I'm as happy as I can be. But the moment that it does not go your way, our selfishness creeps in, and all of a sudden the God that we serve don't know what he's doing. God knows what he's doing. God knows beyond what, he, what we think he can do. God is the same Lord that saved you. He's the same one that's going to take you to the other side. And he'll use broken roads to get you there. But often the reason for our situation is because we're not willing to let go and we're not willing to let God. Psalms 133 says, If thou, Lord, should mark us my iniquities, O Lord, who shall stand? If we aren't careful, this side of heaven, we can make it all about us. And that's where I'm going to finish. If we are not careful, we can make everything on this side of heaven about us. I'm going to live my life in anger. I'm going to live my life in malice. I'm going to live my life worried about number one, my and me. And you find yourself in a place that is not happy and is not joyful and you're always having struggles. And we've made it about us. Me. My. But guys, I want you to understand and what I'm leading up to there's going to be a day where you stand before God. And in that moment, you say, well, Brandon, I would never make it about me here on earth. What if God gave you your way and he said, son, daughter, it's about you. And the moment that you die, you're going to stand before God and he's going to say to you, what did you do to earn a second in heaven? Okay, Brandon, line it up. It was about you on earth. Then it's going to be about you here in heaven. How many people you witness to? Oh, I witnessed to a few, Lord. How many did you say no to? 
Okay, Brandon, it's about you. How many people did you cuss at? How many people did you, uh, did you, did you lift up in prayer? How many times, Brandon, did I tell you to pray for somebody and you didn't do it? It's about you. And in that moment, the Bible says, who will be able to stand before a holy God? If it was about me, I would melt into a puddle right there before our Lord and our Savior. Guys, line it up. We think it's about us, but it ain't nothing to do with you because in that moment, guess what? I'm going to stand before God, and I'm going to say, God, I didn't do what I was supposed to do. I didn't witness the way I was supposed to witness, but I'm telling you, Lord, I didn't pray when I was supposed to pray. I didn't go to church when I was supposed to go to church. I didn't, wasn't faithful where I needed to be faithful, but God says, I have one that took your place, and I'm the one that is about me. And the moment that you trusted Jesus as your Savior 15 years old, it was no longer about you, and it was all about me. Are y'all with me? Then why do we make it about us now? Because in that day, we're going to be so thankful that it had nothing to do with us, and it had all to do with Him. That Brandon, though you messed up, I died for that sin. That though you weren't faithful the way you should have been, I died for that sin. That Brandon, my blood was sufficient for you all of your days. And the moment that you trusted me as your Savior, I took it all. I took it all. I took everything, all of your inadequacies. I took all of your sin. I took all of your struggles. And they were all nailed on the cross for you. Now, Brandon, you lived your life not grabbing on to that truth. And I so wish that you would have understood that while you were on earth. I wish that you would have grasped that for just a moment because you would have been so much happier. You would have been so much more joyful if you would have realized that it had nothing to do with you and it had all to do with me. And I died for you to set you free, but yet you wanted to remain in bondage. My friend, if you're in bondage today, if you're dragging around your salvation today, if you've made it about you today, if there's anything that's going on in your life that is a hindrance, that is not what God intends. He wants to set us free. He put it on His back. He died for us. He lived a life that we couldn't live. He died a death we should have, and He is alive, and He is well. And it's all about Him. Everything has to do with Jesus. And when we make him king and we make him Lord, nothing else matters. Well, God, what if the boat sinks? Brandon, I got it. What if I don't get to be preaching in front of a million people? Brandon, I got it. What if cancer happens? Brandon, I got it. What if my family? Brandon, I got it. The same me that saved you. That moment that you trusted Jesus to save you. He said, Lord, he said, Brandon, uh, daughter, whoever you are, I'm wanting to be Lord of your life. Now let me be Lord of your life. And what I'm wanting you to do today is to put your hands up and to say, God, I surrender to your will, your wants, your needs, 
and I'm taking my hands off of my life for the first time, and I'm going to trust you as my Savior for the first time. Because all I've given you, God, is my lip service, but I've had my hands on control the entire time. God's saying, let your hands off. Trust me with everything you got, and I'm going to take you all the way. God's greater than any of us. He loves you with an everlasting love, and he wants something for your life that is greater than anything you could ever dream of. Amen. We're going to go in a moment of invitation. And whatever God's calling you to do, you come. You stand. Troy's coming. And I believe God's wanting to speak to a heart today. I believe there's somebody in here that's lost. I believe there's somebody in here that's been under control of their whole life, and you need to surrender all right now. For the first time, you need to know that God is convicting you by name. He's calling you by name. He's tugging your heart by name. And he's saying, son, daughter, if you would only let go, I will take you. I will love you. I will save you. And I'll give you a life beyond what you could have ever hoped for. You might not be full of riches, but you'll be full of happiness. But you've got to be willing to say, God, I'm letting go and I'm trusting you. And then maybe you're somebody here today, you need to join our church. Come on. There's no greater time than to be at Hillcrest Baptist Church. And you say, Brent, I've never been baptized. I see these children week after week get baptized, and I'm not willing to do it. My, salva- my baptism's on the wrong side of my salvation. Friend, you need to come. You say, Brandon, I'm full of anger. I'm full of malice. I'm full of sin. My friend, there's an altar right here that you can ask the Lord to forgive you. And he says, I'll pick you up. I'll straighten you out and I'll send you on. Whatever God's calling you to do, Hillcrest Baptist Church, you do.